Hey gang, it's Jesse. We're getting close to the end of the year, a time to think about what we're thankful for, a time to share joy and give back. Let's be honest, 2020 has been a challenging year for all of us. Public radio stations are no exception. During this time, please consider supporting your local public radio station. Every day they bring you the news you need to know, election coverage, the pandemic, everything else. They also bring you shows like Bullseye. We're incredibly grateful for that. Show your gratitude and support your local member station now. Go to donate.npr.org slash bullseye and give whatever you can. And thanks. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. So, it's December. I'm here in my home office in Los Angeles. And uh, hold on, let me open up my weather app here. It is 65 degrees and slightly breezy. Not exactly a winter wonderland. You know, there are those of us who pine for snow and ice this time of year. Maybe that's me. It's definitely not Andrew Bird, though. I was wondering when I moved out here if I would start to lose. I mean, I spent 36 winters in Chicago. I figured I've I've got enough adversity to, to, to extend into other places. From MaximumFun.org and NPR, it's Bullseye. This week, it's the Bullseye Holiday Spectacular. Interviews with Andrew Bird, Anika Noni-Rose, the McElroy brothers, and much more. It's all coming up on Bullseye. But first, the news. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. There are singers that you expect a holiday album from at some point in their careers, just kind of like fits with their brand. Dolly Parton or John Legend or Mariah Carey. Bruno Mars hasn't made one yet, but you know, give it time. One artist you might not put on that list is Andrew Bird. The singer, songwriter, and violinist is a perennial favorite among critics. He's made music that touches on folk, swing, even classical sometimes. And now, on the holidays. Hark is Andrew Bird's first ever Christmas record. As far as Christmas albums go, Hark is pretty unique. It has a few originals, some covers of songs that aren't exactly holiday tunes, but evoke that holiday feeling, and of course, a few standards. For example, here's Andrew Bird doing White Christmas. Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen to hear Sleigh bells in the snow Merry 
Andrew Bird, welcome to Bullseye. It's so nice to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So when you decided to make a Christmas record, do you just like make a list of every Christmas song you like and start circling and crossing out? Not exactly. I wasn't I wasn't that intent on making a, a Christmas album. I just started getting obsessed with the Vince Guaraldi tunes, the Peanuts Christmas, Charlie Brown Christmas tunes. And um, I thought I'd do a few of those. This was like two years ago. And I just put out a few of those. And then I just, it kind of got away from itself. And next thing I knew, I had recorded a whole Christmas album. But um, no, I was, I figured if I'm going to make a Christmas album, I, I, I want to try to make some some new entries into a fairly, let's say, overplayed canon of, of songs. So that uh, White Christmas was one of my only familiar uh, offerings. Those Vince Guaraldi songs are so beautiful. And like every year, you know, you're at the drugstore or something. Mm-hmm. And you, like you recorded the skating song mm-hmm. from that special. And like you'll hear that song and it's Vince Guaraldi version and you just think, wow, this is a beautiful and heartbreaking thing to hear in the CVS. Yeah. It is. There's some of the best things you can hope to hear in that time of year. He had his own kind of melodic language. Like I got into his non-peanuts material too, and it's just he had his own sense of melody. Were there Christmas songs that you look forward to hearing at Christmas? I listened to th- about to three albums, only only three at Christmas time, and that's the Vince Guaraldi Christmas record, the Bing Co- Bing Crosby. You know, I don't know what it's called, but it's it's the one with the Andrew Sisters on it. It's it's the classic. And Handel's Messiah. And I don't feel much need to, to look into others. But um, <laughs> Christmas music has a certain utility this time of year. You put on the record and it is one of many sensory things that you have going on to create the atmosphere. Yeah, I think I listen much more than it probably merits to just a pretty generic album of pipe organ Christmas songs. And I think it's just because it reminds me of like reasonably fond memories of the pipe organ at the church I went to as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it has a nice quality of the sound <laughs> yeah. more than anything else. It's stuff you wouldn't listen to any other time of year. And it's, it's a time when you have license to be purely nostalgic. I mean, the Handel's Messiah was, I remember as a kid playing violin and playing in the community, you know, do-it-yourself Messiah at the local church, you know, and, you know, that kind of warm glow of the church and the, this great classical piece uh, played in a sort of folk music in a way. That was a nice, nice feeling I had about that. Yeah. Do you have fond memories of Christmas as a child? Did you like it? I did. You know, I understand why a lot of people have mixed feelings about the holidays. You know, spending a 
tremendous amount of time with some people you don't always have a lot in common with and stress of family. And I did, with this album, try to write an original. I wrote a few original tunes, but my first attempts I threw away because they were got too dark. You know, I was talking about dysfunctional families and alcoholism. And <laughs> I was just like, this is going against the idea of what, you know, why we use Christmas music. Again, it's a utility thing. It, it serves a purpose, which I think is kind of nice. It gives me license to kind of just enjoy it, you know, not not to suffer over it so much. But um, I did end up using the Handsome Family So Much Wine mixed with the melody for Greensleeves, which is one of my favorite melodies. I had nothing to say on Christmas Day When you threw all your clothes in the snow when you your head. My favorite Christmas tunes are the minor key, sort of dark, melancholy tunes like Green Sleeves, Little Drummer Boy. You know, they tend to be the older ones that are kind of have a renaissance to Baroque kind of era. I mean, there's something to the, I think, to the idea of Christmas as a celebration of the birth of Christ, where mm-hmm. in order to really engage with that idea as you know was a the the heart of christmas for a very long time i think you have to deal with both the kind of scary loneliness of alone in a manger you know just that idea that it's that it's a mother a father and the animals but also the awe of a miracle and those are kind of different feelings from uh, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, which is also, I mean, like that might be the feeling that I most associate with Christmas, but that odd quality is so important and so beautifully expressed in something like, you know, what child is this? That's true. And it is interesting how the sacred and secular come together in the music, in Christmas music, and how much we can find ourselves in a CVS hearing something very um, vividly religious and this great epic being told. And uh, I, you know, I also think about, though, in the secular sense of it, that where it falls on the calendar is, you know, how it fits in with other kind of pagan holidays that preceded Christianity. And is it, isn't it mostly like this festival of light to kind of get through the dark, cold days and it kind of lines up with those other traditions of, of, of trying to uh, create some warmth and light in a, in a dark time. Yeah, I was thinking of the idea of, of making your own warmth as you were talking about that, that idea of like coming together and fire and light for warmth mm-hmm. that is so necessary in the darkest, coldest part of the year. Yeah. One of the aesthetic things about Christmas songs that I find myself really liking that I was reminded of by you mentioning Bing Crosby. I also will listen to Bing Crosby sing Christmas songs whenever. And I don't Mm -hmm. listen to Bing Crosby the rest of the year. No offense to Bing Crosby. But there's something about the confluence of the like singing aesthetics of that time. You know, the 
the 40s into the early 50s, sort of just before rock and roll, and Christmas music that works for me. And it's something about that, you know, Bing Crosby has such an intimate style. It was basically the first time that you didn't have to yell to make the needle move enough to cut a record or right. whatever, right? Like, right, right. it has something to do with magnets. I don't know. <laughs> but like, well, yeah, his phrasing is, is, and his tone is very drowsy. Yeah. Which I think is something I associate with the nostalgia of childhood too, is that kind of staying up late, it's dark, there's like warm lighting, and you're getting sleepy. Right. And you hear Bing Crosby kind of his syrupy voice in the background. And it was something I tried to capture on one of the originals uh, on Alabaster was this sense of more like the outside looking in, being out in the cold, looking, something I used to do in the winter in Chicago, walking through cold, dark neighborhoods and looking in and seeing these apartments kind of glowing from inside. And that I was thinking about that voyeurism, like what's, what's their life like in, in that warm glow and uh and so there's there's two originals are kind of dealing with that being on the outside hoping someone invites you in a kind of good samaritan kind of warmth uh in, invitation and uh yeah there's all sorts of things like i said it's a sensory thing there's there's smells there's there's light and then there's sound and those things kind of blur together where are you talking to me from now i'm in ojai california so the ojai for folks who don't live in southern california haven't visited there is a is a lovely long ago resort town uh still some, sort of a resort town but uh more of a place you'd go for a for a yoga retreat maybe um it's right. a really nice spot it probably isn't going to generate a lot of classic Midwestern Christmas vibes. What is it like for you to do Christmas stuff as a, as a person who's from places where it gets cold and snowy in a place like Southern California? Yeah. I mean, I, I've had this tradition of doing this show called Gazelle Guide every year and it started in Chicago and I've done it in other cities, but I keep coming back to doing it in Chicago. And um, this year I can't do it. And it's usually in a church or a synagogue or some sort of uh, reverberant sacred space where you can create that that atmosphere. But this year I'm going to do it outside in Ojai under an oak tree and an orange grove um, at sunset with the mountains in the background. I mean, it's, it's not too far off, but it's not, you know, there's not um, your... Uh, Midwestern kind of monochromatic, uh, bleak winter landscape. And I was wondering when I moved out here, if I would start to lose, I mean, I spent 36 years, 36 winters in Chicago. I figured I've, I've, I've got enough adversity to, to, to extend into other places. Andrew, I um, once spent like three days in winter in Chicago and I feel like I've done enough for my life. Like I feel like I've earned the relief of Southern California from those three days. <laughs> yeah. It's, you really have to get in those places. You really have to get creative um, about how you get through those winter months, either with artistic projects or just riding your bike, even though it's 10 below to a dance party at a bar, you know, like 
I did. I remember dancing in my snow boots, you know, uh, many nights in Chicago, you know, it's, uh, I think that brings something out in people that the, cause you know, you have to do it for your own mental health to get through. And, uh, and that was what those, these concerts were designed as like, is, um, not so much. I, I didn't never, didn't want to call it a Christmas concert because everyone's got associations they have with that. And I just wanted to keep it more about that festival lights idea that, you know, something to fortify us through the winter. Um, but to answer your question about being in uh, almost constant sunshine, <laughs> it's, there's still the darkness. Nonetheless, there's still seasonal depression, though it's not as extreme um, out here, but, but it still takes, takes some fortitude. I want to play a little bit of a song from your album, Hark, and my guest is Andrew Bird. It's called Christmas in April. It's a new song, and did you write this song this April, April of 2020? I wrote it in March of 2020, but March is not a very elegant <laughs> word for songs, so I, I put it into April. Um, but yes, yes, it's all about, I mean, that's the interesting thing about being home during this pandemic is that um, a lot of my recordings that I've done during that time are extremely casual, like like this one, like where I, I just kind of are making I'm making comments about how absurd it is that I'm writing the song while I'm recording the song. It's like you're capturing everyday life and a little more than before the pandemic. Let's hear a bit of it. I was wondering aloud in that song, like if uh, if the traditional automatic greetings of the holidays would seem disingenuous. And I was wondering in April or March, as it was, if we would be in the same boat or worse and wondering like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say Merry Christmas because who are we kidding? <laughs> it's going to be rough. We'll finish up with Andrew Bird after a quick break. Plus, later on, celebrating the good stuff in life 2020 style with the hosts of Max Fund's Tiny Victories and an interview with actor and singer Anika Noni Rose. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Microsoft Teams. Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in one space with a new virtual room. Collaborate live, drawing, sharing, and building ideas with everyone on the same page. And make sure more of your team is seen and heard with up to 49 people on screen at once. Learn more about all the newest Teams features at Microsoft.com Teams. Hey, you've reached Dr. Game Show. Leave your message after the beep. Dr. Game Show is my favorite podcast and the only podcast my parents let me listen to because I'm 12. But even old people love this show. Basically, you call in, play games, and have fun. If you win a game, a baby will send you a magnet in the mail. 
I have so many magnets and put them all over my locker and pretty much everyone at school is jealous because they are very cool custom magnets and it also means that I'm really good at winning games. And they even let me practice my record live on the air. <laughs> Listening to this show is like going to a real doctor, but pretty much kind of better. Dr. Game Show Rock. Listen to Dr. Game Show on Maximum Fun. New episodes every other Wednesday. Abigail Disney says if she ran the family company, she'd deal with the current economic crisis very differently. A CEO should be like a ship's captain. You know, if other people are drowning, you're the last one off the ship. Ideas about the history and future of finding financial stability. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Welcome back to the Bullseye Holiday Spectacular. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Andrew Bird. He's a Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist. He just put out his first ever holiday record. It's called Hark. Let's listen to a track from it. Here's an instrumental rendition of Vince Guaraldi's classic, Christmas is Coming. When you were a kid, you were primarily a violinist. And, you know, the violin is still probably your first instrument, although you might say your your first job is songwriter. I don't know. But when you were a kid, did you play violin with the idea that you were going to be a classical violinist? Or did you play violin with the idea you were going to be a, some kind of fiddler? No, I mean, I I started so young that it was just something that I did. My mom took me twice a week to group lessons and then private lessons. And there were recitals. And I was not a prodigy, but I was reasonably good at it. And I didn't hate it. But it was not like part of my identity until I got into my adolescence. And then nothing was going particularly well. And I was like, oh, I'm actually already pretty good at this. So I, then I like devoted myself to it. I became like, this is the thing I'm going to throw myself into. And then, yeah, at first I was going to be like, I wanted to be the best classical violinist because I didn't know much else out there. And then I started discovering other types of music. And then I got into Irish fiddle playing or uh, gypsy folk music and, and hot jazz. And I got into all this other uh, stuff. But nonetheless, I was completely absorbed by the romance of being, of dedicating myself to this instrument. And then at some point my arm stopped working. I had tendonitis from trying to make a living, teaching and playing at a Renaissance fair and anything I could do to, to make rent. And I said, I've become kind of boring. <laughs> you know, I used to read more. I used to write poetry. I used to, before that, before I got so dedicated to it. And that's when I started realizing I, maybe I couldn't be able to play uh, because of physical things, like that I better become more well-rounded. And, and, and that's when I started writing and conceiving of albums and songs and common threads between lyrics. And so, yeah, now then that thing's kind of shifted and then the, the violin became just something I happened to play and it serves the song. I mean, I am thinking of you as a, and post-adolescent, maybe as a teenager, 16 or 17 or something, and 
you know, in a high school, there's probably some punk rock kids. Maybe there's some metal dudes. I'm not sure that there is a clique of Django Reinhardt enthusiasts. <laughs> Hot joke. No. You, you, can't, you can't go hang out with the gypsy folk music kids. No, but but I've I found kind of the uh, Andrew's such you a know, the, hot jazz guy now. <laughs> that came a little bit later, but I was I was like playing Dvorak violin concerto and listening to that while I was hanging out with my goth friends, and we put together like a band that played like a Donovan song at the talent show at high school, you know, and we were kind of freaky somewhere between hippie and goth kids or something like i i wore like a like a thomas jefferson style blousey shirt with wooden buttons i'm not too proud to say <laughs> <laughs> moleskin pants and uh and oversized uh camel hair jackets and yeah i was insufferable probably so you're a, a gifted singer and a wonderful violinist. I think one of the other distinctive elements of your music is that you are often a whistler. Did you discover that accidentally? Or did you think, gosh, I'm good at whistling? I never really thought um, I was exceptional at whistling. It's just something I did incessantly and I would drive my family crazy because if I wasn't eating or sleeping, or talking, I was pretty much whistling. Um, whatever repertoire I was working on at the time or whatever, it's just, you know, that it's an escape valve for what's bouncing around in my head. And then I didn't think to put it on any of my records for the first, I don't know, three or four records, because I figured, well, first of all, I, I went through so much pain and suffering to learn this violin, it's a difficult instrument, who was going to, who says the, the money's in whistling, you know? It's such a casual, portable, whimsical thing. And I just took me a while to give it any uh, credit. A lot of times my hands are busy playing an instrument and to carry a tune, like here's where the melody goes, I would whistle it. And then that would go on record and I'd be like, with all intention of replacing it, and then I'd be like, that's it. That just sounds... The mo like the most honest thing. If I replace it with a violin, it just sounds kind of romantic. It has all these other associations. The whistling is just so casual. Is that's what makes it work. Like anyone, most almost anyone can do it. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think especially if if uh, as you said, whistling has the humanity of singing. You know, it comes directly from a person and is something that we've all done. But it doesn't require that step. It doesn't require you to lock in words with meanings on top of the melody. It can just be the melody. Exactly. And it's, when I come up with a melody, it's only been whistled. Um, it tends to be more interesting and doesn't conform to the eight bar phrase, like a guitar or a violin or piano part. Cause they, those have a physical memory or a geometry to it that wants to kind of fit into the the way things have been done and the whistle being a direct line from from what's in my head it can tend to be a little more odd and therefore i think can get into people's heads quicker too it also that the tonality of it kind of cuts through everything else i do the violin and my voice is very mid-rangey and the whistle is just like glass so i think of it in a textural way and also it can be it's not just like uh 
usually you hear it in like a, a pop song or rock song, like it's this kind of, oh, hi-ho, hi-ho kind of whistle thing. And yeah. I don't usually use it in that way. I think of it as like more uh, aria or operatic-like, you know. Um, at least that's the way the technique I use is more like, you know, Like, but you can, once I set up like a violin loop or something, it, it's this big, massive mid rangey, uh, you know, orchestral textures. And then the whistle just like beams right in there, like a laser and cuts right through it. So I don't know. I can't, I can't quit doing it. I, sometimes I think I should give it a rest, but it's just what I do. Let's hear some more music from my guest Andrew Bird's new album, Hark. This is a cover of a John Cale song called Andalusia. Andalusia, when can I see you? When it's snowing out again From a drum wants you louder and softer Closer and dearer than again Needing you Taking you, keeping you, leaving you. Andrew, how did you end up recording that song? When the lockdown started last uh, March, my son became the household DJ and he was just playing music nonstop. And he really got into John Cale's Paris 1919. And he was just going through a Velvet Underground and Transformer, Lou Reed, and then John Cale phase. I mean, we all um, go through that in fourth grade. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's got better taste than any of us. Um, but he, that song he kept playing over and over again, and I found it was really comforting that whole record has a vulnerability in, his, in John Cale's voice that you come to really love. And I was thought, oh, maybe I'll try to finish out this uh, Christmas record that I started. And, and I was, you know, searching for material. And I, I thought, you know, anything that mentions snow or Christmas or just even if it's peripheral is fair game because yeah. we just want some good music. And I thought... Well, this mentions castles and Christians and snow. I think we're good. Um, and uh, I just kind of did a very stripped down pizzicato. I was just playing pizzicato live and singing. And then my bass player, Alan Hampton, did these choral arrangements that you hear in the background. And that's, that's pretty much it. Your singing is really beautiful on that song. Did you always feel comfortable singing? Uh, no, this is a lesson for people who wonder if their kids are listening to them when they make casual offhanded comments. But I was in the back seat as a kid and I was singing something to myself and I can't remember which parent it was said, um, well, you shouldn't consider a career in singing. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, no, geez. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. And I didn't really try singing again until I was 19 or 20 and it took a while to really it's still an elusive instrument for me like like some days I can sing like Roy Orbison and other days 
it's just not there. It's just, it's so subject to your psychology, you know. But um, that song, that vulnerability that you hear in John Kill's voice, it just is part of the song because I felt it too when I was singing it. It was not particularly easy to sing, even though it seems like it is. Like it's just uh, my voice kind of breaks a little bit and it was not super comfortable for me to sing that. Um, but it works somehow. Well, I sure appreciate you taking all this time to talk with me and thanks for this beautiful record. Oh, you're welcome. I, I really enjoy your show, so I'm glad to do it. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew Bird, his holiday album, Hark, is available to stream or buy pretty much everywhere. One good place to grab it is his Bandcamp page. Also, we didn't get to talk about it during the interview, but Andrew recently made his acting debut on FX's Fargo, playing the protagonist's dad. You can stream that on Hulu. It's the Bullseye Holiday Special. I'm Jesse Thorne. What did you set out to do this year? Did you want to go running every day or learn how to bake sourdough bread or get holiday gifts for everybody on your list before December 1st? Look, as far as I'm concerned, it's fine if you didn't do all those things. It's fine, really, if you didn't do any of those things. It doesn't make you a failure. Victories come in every shape, size, and flavor. That's kind of the idea behind the newest podcast over here at my company, Maximum Fun. The podcast is called Tiny Victories, and each episode is a bite-sized celebration of the small stuff, reconnecting with a friend, dusting the mantle, reading a fun, informative article. Don't worry about it. You're doing great. Tiny Victories is hosted by Annabelle Gerwich and Laura House. Annabelle is an author of a number of books and an accomplished actor. Laura, her co-host, is also an actor and writer. The two of them are joining me now to talk about holiday Tiny Victories. Annabelle and Laura, welcome to Bullseye's Holiday Special. Hey, Jesse. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, this is uh, Annabelle. Thanks for having us. And I love the way you uh, put that, the low expectations of the year. <laughs> you know, we have this thing we call the Tiny Victory Hotline where people call in and we just got a call from someone whose Tiny Victory is that they raised their Spanish grade from an F to a C. Now that's, yeah. I just love Cake that. Yeah, just not an A, but a C. Yay, yay, that's good. You have to celebrate that. It's the right direction. Yeah, I mean, uh, my feeling about it is that any accomplishment is a monumental accomplishment in the year 2020. Oh, for sure. Did either of the two of you have big goals in January and February? <laughs> I have a book that has been written and needed to move along for a while. I had I had that big goal and then I just have had to adjust to the smaller steps of that this year. It has been such a bizarre year to honestly if anyone's out of bed before noon hats off. I salute you. That is a tiny victory I think in this the bar's been lowered so low this year. For me, uh, this is Annabelle, uh, this year was going to be one of the most uh, anticipated moments in my life. My kid was graduating college. I had this trip planned. My entire family was heading to upstate New York to the graduation ceremony that David Byrne was playing at. I oh, mean- wow. 
just epic. What that day turned out to be was me in my backyard watching names roll by on my screen, weeping alone. My kid was in lockdown in New York. I was here. I mean, talk about plans for the year changing. And yet I'm so proud of Ezra. I'm so proud of my child. They graduated. Uh, By the time they graduated, I believe they were majoring in sourdough starter and Rubik's Cube, but whatever. They graduated. (laughs) I didn't get David Byrne, but, you know, so that, that was really one of those moments of, okay, this is you know, a positive we're, we're still, we're still hanging in there, but so yeah, this year was going to be epic, uh, for, in that sense. Yeah. What holidays do the two of you celebrate, uh, at the end of the year? Oh, I'm Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. A classic combo. Classic. I didn't invent it. A lot of people, a lot of people hop on that bandwagon. I'm a big uh, Hanukkah person, and notice I really hit the ch because yeah. I'm Jewish. And uh, usually I can, you know, there's eight days of Hanukkah, and I usually make it to five, and then I forget, and it all peters out. This year, <laughs> if I light candles on two, and by the way, the candles that I have aren't like the Hanukkah candles. I'm going to put some like old birthday candles <laughs> my Hanukkah manure, whatever. It's all, it's all gonna be a tiny, a tiny Hanukkah this year. Do either of you have uh, big holiday traditions that aren't going to happen this year? I've transitioned out of a lot of big events. I like to do kind of non-traditional holiday stuff, but when I was about 15, my brother and I were both in high school and my mom, like Christmas was her thing. Like so many moms, my mom would bake she would make candy for like four days straight in the kitchen and she's making um, chocolate covered pretzels, like even non-traditional. She's making the divinity, the fruitcakes, all the fruitcakes you see that came from my mom. Um, fruitcake cookies. Just trying I thought to like, fruitcakes just came like from other people that have been passed around for years. Like there's one fruitcake in the entire country that gets passed around. But no. Honestly, I thought fruitcakes were just in Irma Bombeck books. <laughs> really? No. I really didn't know they actually existed. <laughs> My mom, she just she was just Willy Wonka for like a week in December mm. and loved Christmas. And every when we put up the tree, it was ours because it was Neil Diamond songs. And then she would tell a story out of like put an ornament. Oh, your grandmother gave this to you when you were seven years old. She, we had a speech that went to everyone. So what I was thinking about our big tradition was we would put up the tree. And when I was about 15, my brother and I were both in high school and we had kind of lost interest in helping. I don't know if you met a teenager, but we were pretty <laughs> typical in that way. Of We had just, there's just a day you go, I don't want to help anymore. And um, so she was sort of coaxing us for a few weeks of like, you know, help me, help me get the, get the tree up. And we just would kind of take a step backwards <laughs> in that kind of way. And she threatened, she said, you know, if you don't help me put the tree up this year, we're just not going to have one. And I was like, that's just not even possible. And she folded all the time on stuff. She was just a really nice lady. So we were like, obviously she's going to break and put the tree up, but we didn't have a tree 
that year. Nobody helped, and she was like, "No tree." That's she stood. She stood. She she stuck the landing, and we still had Christmas, but we had to put all of our presents on a chair, and so we just had this Christmas chair this year. That to me, that was like. It's almost for me, like, I just kind of want to keep honoring that tradition in my family of like, you know what, let's just put some tinsel on that chair. <laughs> We're still going to buy things because it, in a way, the tiny victory was really my mom's of like, you know what, she really st- stuck it to us. Like, that was a lifelong lesson for me of like, oh, you, you got to help out if you want, <laughs> if you want Christmas to happen. Well, I'm, I am that mom now. And <laughs> I, I I applaud that. But I, you know, Jesse, when you just said that, I just was thinking about how the one tradition I have kept since my kid was little was that we do every year a family picture um, with our cat, whichever <laughs> cat we happen to have. And this year, I just lost my cat, and I um, decided that I had to get uh, kittens. But I don't know if you know this, but it's like a, a dog-eat-dog-kitten competition. And I tried to get a cat named Eddie, and then there was like a kitten named Raisin, who I wanted to adopt just to change his name from Raisin, because that's really undignified. A cat shouldn't have to be called Raisin. And then there were these feral kittens. And then I heard about these kittens and someone else uh, sent me this email with a picture of Pablito and Maggie. And I was like, I am going to get these kittens if it kills me. Uh, The kitten rescuer sent me a contract to sign. And I said to my friend, do you do you think this is legally enforceable? <laughs> because this the contract, kitten the kitten police are going to come, the kitten rescue police. The, this is the actual wording. In order to um, adopt these kittens, I have to sign an agreement saying that that I will consider these cats to be members of my family. And <laughs> I have to say that this has been like an ethical dilemma for me because I've always maintained that cats and pets are not members of your family. But I realized that if I didn't sign this and if I didn't, you know, open myself, this sounds so silly, but if I didn't open myself up to the idea that maybe I was wrong, because during this pandemic, like, my cat just uh, died a couple of weeks ago. We had to put her to sleep. And it was so sad. Like maybe, maybe I was kidding myself. Maybe cats are family members. And I signed the contract. And I am going to have that picture of my kid and me and kittens. And then I will have kittens, you know, um, for... Well, they will now be running my household as I have signed a contract to believe. But I, I actually, I actually felt like that was a tiny victory to admit that maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was close-minded. So I feel like that's my uh, little holiday tiny victory. Can I tell you the goal that I achieved uh, yes. Thanksgiving? That is yes. my, that is my objective for Christmas. 
Yes. I only made one meal. Mm. I have three children and a lot of neurodiversity in my family, which which leads to a preference for no foods other than cream cheese on rice cakes. When the Thanksgiving holiday rolled around, it was just the the five of us, my wife, myself, and my three children. And uh, I made one meal. Uh, None of the children liked it, but (laughs) they didn't complain that much. And they ate enough to make it to the next morning. That's amazing. That's that awesome. is that's I that is not a tiny victory. That's that's kind of epic. I've never in my life as a parent managed to make one meal. That's yeah, and I my plan for Christmas, of course, is it to cook a fine fat goose. So we'll see how that oh. goes. Oh. Genuinely a goose? No, I just think you're supposed to isn't that what you're supposed to cook for Christmas? A fine fat goose? Yeah. No, I that your um, boss Scrooge paid for? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. I had a goose one Christmas and so I got really excited. Like, are you really gonna have a goose? I try not to cook. I tried to make a risotto once and it was a couple of years ago. I'm still making it now. It just like you can stir you that stir thing continuously. forever. Yeah, it's, it's stir like, continuously. When they say stir continuously, they mean continuously because it's still on my stovetop. It's still happening. Do you have tiny victory ambitions for 2021? It would be a tiny victory for me to think about 2021. I I have become <laughs> so just one step in front of the other in this year. Like nothing. And I've taught meditation for years so that thing about be here now has never been more like easy. It's like we're forced to do that now because we've been like, I don't like every month has been weirder than the one before. Like, I feel like a, a life we could not fathom in May of 2020. Like if we were like, can you imagine like was, was the norm 20 days later <laughs> in June, it was just the weird. So Honestly, I didn't even think about there being a 2021 until you just mentioned it. (laughs) (laughs) Annabelle, Laura, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, congratulations on the launch of Tiny Victories. We're we're so happy to have it. I'm so happy that we we found a home with Maximum Fun. It was was a dream and and it still is. So we're really happy to be with you guys. Yeah, it's so great to be here. So laying it on a little thick, but... No, I appreciate it. No, it's true. I'll take it. I'll call it a tiny victory. Laura House and Annabelle Gerwich, they're the hosts of the new Max Fun podcast, Tiny Victories, which is very fun and funny and only 15 minutes long. It is a brief blast of hope in a dark winter. Give it a listen. It's the Bullseye Holiday Special. I'm Jesse Thorne. Our next guest is the Tony Award-winning actor Anika Noni-Rose. She's an actress and singer. Her breakthrough role was in the movie Dream Girls, where she sang and performed alongside Beyonce and Jennifer Hudson. You might also know her as the voice of Princess Tiana from The Princess and the Frog. Anika stars in the new holiday movie Jingle Jangle. And if there was one word to describe it, it might be extravagant. Everything is big, from the performances to the costume choices to the drama. Anika, who plays Jessica, stars alongside Keegan-Michael Key, Ricky Martin, and Forrest Whitaker. Whitaker plays Jeronicus Jangle, 
He's an inventor and toy maker. He's lost his creative spark after a devastating betrayal by his former apprentice and the death of his wife. His granddaughter, Journey, shows up for an unannounced visit. She helps him rediscover his creativity. In the process, she also helps mend his broken heart and his relationship with his daughter, Jessica. Jarrett Hill, one of the hosts of Maximum Fund's own podcast, Fanti, which, by the way, was just picked as one of the best podcasts of 2020 by the folks at Apple Podcasts, caught up with Anika Nani Rose recently to talk about the movie, what she's doing for the holidays, and more. Let's kick things off with a clip from Jingle Jangle. In this scene, Jessica has returned home to see her father after many years away, and as we're about to hear, there's still a lot that they need to talk about. We should leave now. We're to make it by morning. Jessica, I'm sorry. For what? For giving up? For making me feel like it was my fault that things turned out the way they did? Do you know how many times I went to my mailbox hoping for something to let me know that you still cared, that, that you even thought about me at all? I thought about you every day. Every day. Anika Noni Rose, welcome to Bullseye, the holiday spectacular, as I'm making them call it. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> of course, of course. I want to really start off right there in that clip. As I watched the movie, you kind of know that this moment is going to come when Jessica will confront her dad. And in that moment, he says, Jessica, I'm sorry. And it kind of hit. And it was like, oh, wow. He said the word that you don't often get to hear from someone. Uh, talk to me about this relationship between Jessica and her father uh, in Jingle Jangle. That's really the, the central kind of story about, in this movie. You know, I, I'm going to start when I talk about their relationship. Well, so I could start with what it was. Um, you know, he was her hero. He was the person that she had the most in common with. They were both inventors. And she started to invent because of what she had seen him do. And what she knew was possible because of the magic that he believed in and through his heart created. So when things went bad and he lost the last thing that he had created that we had sort of done together actually. And then later on, I also lost my mother and he, his wife it was like something shattered within him. Mm -hmm. So what he was not able to do was put his pieces back together enough to be whole enough for his child, which we all know is a theme that runs through so many families so often. Absolutely. Um, um, and I think I, I want to go back to the, I'm sorry. You said that that's the confrontation is what you've been hoping for or waiting for. But I, I wonder how many people imagined they would hear an I'm sorry, because I think that if parents could say, I'm sorry and mean it, not somebody who just throws I'm sorry out at every moment, but truly to have a moment and say, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I did this wrong. I, I am the adult and sometimes we don't get it right. 
But to really speak to that hurt that was given to that child, we would have much more healthy families. We would Mm. have much healthier families, you know, and I know, you know, for black families, the thought of a father telling their child, I'm sorry, it just, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm saying that culturally, it is something that isn't necessarily the norm. And it is something that is necessary. To the point that you're making about not hearing I'm sorry, I think that hit with me the way that it did, because I had a conversation like that with my own father. And I had been telling myself for years, oh, he was doing the best that he could with what he had, but he never said that to me. And I had a long conversation with him about like how I was feeling about this, that, and the other. And he said to me, well, you know, I was doing the best I could with what I had. And like, I burst into tears. And I think in that kind of moment that we see between Jessica and her father, it's that validating moment of like, I've been feeling this for so long and apparently you have to. And I think that also what's beautiful about this film is that it's really centered on this idea of belief and believing in the possibilities. Uh, You guys have this Mm -hmm. beautiful song um, about impossible is possible uh, in me. What do you hope that people walk away from this film talking about feeling, thinking about? Oh my gosh. You know, I really, I try not to tell people what to take away because I think that every person that watches it, depending on the road that they've walked is gonna take away something different. But I do think that there are themes that are going through it. And one of them you, you hit straight on is that the impossible is possible. No one should tell a child, in my opinion, anything other than it's possible even if you think it's not, because people do things that someone else once said was impossible every single day. And if we continue to tell children, sure, try, they may be the person that does that thing, or at least their heart will continue to soar and move in that space of positivity. But I think also that we as adults need to realize that there's not a time limit on possibility. Is not a time limit on reinvention or invention. Mm. Um, and I think that society has taught us, you know, particularly women, that there's a time limit for you. And um, once you get to whatever that limit is, depending on your field of interest, your life movement, then you, like the milk, are now curdled and sour and expired and we don't need you anymore. People need to remember that magic is important to believe in and that magic comes in really many different forms. It's not always the rabbit coming out of the hat because we always we know that there's there's a formula to that and you can figure that out. (laughs) It's the magic that you can't see your way to that exists. Some people call it magic. Some people call it miracles. Some people call it faith, hope, whatever but it's there and it's important for us to put our, to put our energy into that and our, and our trust into that. But also when we look at these movies, you know, children are going to take so many things from this. Um, little girls are going to recognize their possibilities in, in STEM without thinking of it as STEM, which I think is fantastic, particularly as somebody who is atrocious at math. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, so bad. Um, I just feel like there are so many places to go with this film. 
and adults watching it, some are really figuring out ways to heal their wounds and to create a bridge. And you know, it's not really the child's job to create the bridge with the parent, but but we have to a lot Mm -hmm. of the times because parents are people and parents were once hurt children and that hurt child still lives in that parent or that hurt adult, but hurt lives. And so I think that one thing that was really is beautiful to me is that families can break, they can break the bad bonds. They can break the habitual hurt that Mm. lives within them, but only if they are willing to look at it, put air on it, look at each other, talk about it, be open. I think one thing that I loved about Jessica, which I think was so brave and strong and right that she did, is that she never poisoned her child against, uh, poisoned her child um, against her father. Mm -hmm. She taught her child who her father was, the part that she loved the most. And because of that, her child grew up to have that kind of magic and hope in her spirit and was able to be the bridge to bond, to bring the two of them back together. I think it may not have even happened if not for journey going on, on that, uh, on that journey. (laughs) So we have to know, you know, that we can break trauma. Uh, Today I'm talking with Tony award-winning actor, Anika Noni Rose. Uh, Anika stars in the Netflix film, Jingle Jangle, although she's probably best known as the voice of Princess Tiana from the Disney film, The Princess and the Frog. Anika is a veteran Broadway actor and performer. Here, she performs Make It Work with her Jingle Jingle co-star, Forrest Whitaker. What I love about this and the conversation that we're already having and the, the theme of this film uh, is that I, there's a lot to relate to in this. And I think that so often in the holidays, people are going home to see their family members that they haven't seen in a long time or that maybe they haven't talked to in a long time. And watching that scene uh, when you you, know, you both are performing Make It Work, it made me think about all of the folks that have to go home uh, over the holiday season or this year, folks that can't go home for the holiday season but are trying to figure out how to make it work. This is our holiday spectacular, as I told you. And I want to know, talk to me about what the holidays are looking like for you this year as, as we are in the middle of a global pandemic and stay at home orders and things like that. What have the holidays been looking like for you so far and as we look ahead to Christmas? Well, I sent my parents food. (laughs) I sent them special holiday food for Thanksgiving. I sent them a a turducken and something (laughs) else that all they had to do was heat up because I didn't really want them in the stores. Um, And I felt like, you know, you you can make your own sides, but let's just handle this right here. (laughs) So I did that. And, you know, 
we're doing Secret Santa um, for extended family. And then we'll probably open gifts online for that Secret Santa. But listen, first first and foremost, I want to say, please don't go home for the holidays. Mm. You know, wherever you are, please don't go home for the holidays this year. The reason I am not is because, you know, my parents are older and I don't feel like it's fair for me to get off a plane, not have two weeks to quarantine and bring possibility to them. Mm. I'm also, I'm an asthmatic, so I don't have space for this COVID situation in my life or in my body at all. I don't know anybody who does, but the way I see people tipping about, <laughs> you know, Listen. with no mask and hanging out and in a bar and whatever, you know, some people apparently think they do. I don't. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, is my hope that people stay home. But it's going to be a very simple holiday this season for me. And, you know, I think that there's so many things that, that lead up to the holidays that we skip because we're moving into money mm. and it has become about money. So I think that it's really nice actually to be able to just focus on self, focus on family. And when I say focus on self, I don't mean like be selfish. What can I find myself on Amazon? I mean, focus on <laughs> the inside, focus on what have we learned this year what can I be better at? And I think that 2020 has been really clear with me on that. And when I say really clear, I don't mean kind. I say clear. I mean, I've been looking at myself and say that. seeing, you know, sure, there's some great things about me. There's some stuff that is that needs to be dusted off. I think people needed something like this to, to usher in 2021. I'm not even talking about ushering out 2020, but to usher in yeah. 2021, we need to we need to be able to put a different foot down. We'll finish up with Anika Noni Rose after a quick break. Plus, still to come, holiday advice from the hosts of My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man, sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talk about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. This message comes from NPR sponsor Microsoft Teams. Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in one space with a new virtual room. Collaborate live, drawing, sharing, and building ideas with everyone on the same page. And make sure more of your team is seen and heard with up to 49 people on screen at once. Learn more about all the newest Teams features at Microsoft.com Teams. Hey all, Jesse here again with a reminder. We're getting to the end of the year. Now is a great time to support shows like Bullseye by supporting your local public radio station. They do so much for you and they're only asking for a little in return. 
Give what you can and do it now. Go to donate.npr.org slash bullseye. And thanks. It's the Bullseye Holiday Spectacular. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're listening to Jarrett Hill's conversation with the actor and singer Anika Noni Rose. She's a Tony Award winner. She starred in the movies The Princess and the Frog and Dreamgirls. These days, she's performing alongside Forrest Whitaker in the brand new Christmas movie Jingle Jangle. You can stream it now on Netflix. Let's get back into their conversation. In doing research on you, I found this really great bio, and I saw that you have been inducted into the Connecticut Women's Hall of Fame. Yes. And they did a really nice write-up on you about your background and you as a kid. And I found it really interesting. They said that you grew up like kind of observing and starting to imitate people, uh, which said to me that you were probably like a people watcher even now, or at least as a kid. Talk to me about what you were learning about what people did and, and what it meant about them and what you learned about yourself from that. Oh my God, I was the worst. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was the worst. I would imitate you to your face. <laughs> I'm sure people, people loved. Yeah. You're right. Well, some people didn't always know. I, I would say most people didn't always know that they were being imitated. So mm. I remember going to the mall Christmas shopping with my parents one year. And there was a girl who was on the register. She was a teen. And she was killing some gum. Like, like her, she should have had TMJ. Like she was wearing this gum to a fairly well. And I started imitating her chewing gum. I didn't have any gum in my mouth. I remember my mother was like, Anika, if this woman turns around and catches you, there is nothing I can do. Uh, because neither one of us, like we're, I'm five two. So I wasn't even five two then, five two and a half. But I wasn't quite even that then, you know. So this woman could have like stepped on me. But it wasn't about being mean. It just, it tickled me that she was killing that gum like that. And I don't know what it is about people. Human behavior is something that has always intrigued me like I've always been the kid who's going to walk behind you and do your walk if I found mm. a walk to be interesting in the mall I was doing that walk right behind that person <laughs> and, and and you know interestingly enough had no desire to be a performer didn't know that that would be part of my life or my job or that that was even mm. part of what acting is just was something that I enjoyed I liked watching people my grandmother and I used to sit in the car and watch people. She liked to go to Burger King. My grandmother did not like coffee, but if a restaurant had 25 cent senior coffee, believe my grandmother was going to get 25 cent senior coffee. This woman she didn't wanted her like deal. It, she was going to have that deal. <laughs> <laughs> so we would go and we would go and get something from Burger King and she would get her 25 cent coffee and we would sit in the car and we would watch people together and we would make up stories about who they were, what their lives were as they walked I do the same thing. It's so fun. (laughs) It's so fun. And I I will tell you, I was in New York and uh, at a bar and I was sitting with a friend and we had made up this whole story about who this guy was sitting at the bar. And then like a woman came and joined him. And so we made up who she was. And then as he was leaving, we were like, we should stop him and ask him if any of this was right. (laughs) Have you ever asked the person if they were right? Because we were right about 65, 70% of the stuff. It was it was really wild. I have intruded on people's lives and, and asked them. Mostly it's <laughs> mostly it's 
So what do you think? That's the first date, isn't it? They've never dated yes! before. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'll be I like, always so... blame it on being a journalist. I blame it on being a journalist. Like, I'm just really curious about people's lives. You're you know? nosy. Yeah. You're nosy. That's what you are. You're nosy. I, That's what... I call it being a journalist. <laughs> and I will ask some questions. But it's so fun to do that and just kind of observe. Are you still Are you still very much of a people watcher nowadays? Yes. And does that kind of help you in, in like, coming up with like your characters and stuff like that? I think it does. And, you know, I've always been a little bit nosy, but always just intrigued by people by humanity and by our movement through the world. And I think it absolutely does because the little things that people do that they're not thinking about are the things that inform you, mm. uh, you know, about who that person is. And if you ever get to know the person or know anything about them, then it gives you a bit of a psychological movement through why mm. they do the things they do because your body tells on you even when your mouth is saying something else your body tells on you and i think that we all to some extent as people do that because otherwise you know we'd be in trouble all the time we'd be hurt or in danger or something like that yeah um or the way that new yorkers move through the street and they're not even looking up maybe they're looking at their phone maybe they're doing something else but they manage to move through these busy streets without bumping into anybody else it's because of the way that we take in the people yeah. around us and how they move. Yeah. And it's something that has always intrigued me, though I didn't think of it at that, as that at the time. I was just a nosy little kid who liked imitating. <laughs> <laughs> it has benefited me in my life. So now I just say, you know, I'm a very, very perceptive actor. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, lastly, I want to talk to you about... Uh, we talked about you being uh, known for Princess Tiana. I know that when the Wreck-It Ralph version of Princess Tiana came out, you went back and asked them to like re-animate uh, her face for her to have, a, you know, the rounder nose and for her to have the darker skin. And that said to me that the representation had a, a lot of uh, importance to you. And if we're looking at a film like Jingle Jangle, where probably a lot of children are going to see this movie this year and then watch it next year and the year after that. And like, it will become so. a tradition for them. Talk to me about the value of representation when you're choosing roles and thinking about the work that you're going to be putting out into the world. Look, let me start with on Jingle Jangle. If you are not a person of the African diaspora, this is something you probably didn't notice. Everyone had natural hair mm -hmm. that people are probably like, okay, so, this hair is natural, okay. That's revolutionary, yeah. It's revolutionary, it's particularly in a magical space where so often, even if we're in magical spaces, we're being made to look like somebody else's magic. Mm. And I, I had a relaxer in my hair from 10 years old until three years ago, I think, is when I chopped everything off. I didn't know what my hair looked like. I didn't, I had no sense of the texture of my hair. I had no idea. Um, and I thought that it was something that was sort of unruly and unable to be handled and dealt with because when you have a relaxer and your natural hair starts to grow in, it feels hard and angry and mad because it is hard and angry and mad because you've been <laughs> messing with it. Um, it's mad at you. 
So it has actually taken probably, took probably two, two and a half years for me to feel my hair's texture is changing all the time and it's different all over my head, but I wonder would I have felt the need to have a relaxer for people who don't know what that is. A relaxer is when you basically strip the natural curl out of your hair chemically so that your hair is straight or wavy or whatever, just a much looser curl. Mostly it's straight. And it also strips the nutrients of your hair. So most of the time you're hurting your hair, whether you realize it or not. Sharon Martin did the hair on this film and she and I worked together before. We worked together on Half of a Yellow Sun which a lot of people unfortunately didn't see because it's beautiful. And every, every piece of hair was thought about. We wanted styles that were spoke to the Victorian era, but through the African gaze, because that's who these people were. You know, um, you always take your history with you through your DNA and you always, and I would say black folks always are putting a twist on something, you know, Mm -hmm. and they may not even know that what they're doing is something that came from across the ocean with them. Um, And it's amazing that it lasted this long, but that's what happens. And I thought how amazing for children to be able to see their hair in its natural state for but, but and, and beautiful in its beautiful natural state, like glorious crowns and beads and twists and braids and locks, you know, at a time where we are having to create laws so that people can wear their natural hair that comes out of their head in the way that it comes out of their head to go to work mm. so that children can go to school with the hair that grows out of their head, the way it grows out of their head, so that boys can finish their wrestling matches without some random person shaving their head. And let me tell you, whoo, that's a lucky person. That's a lucky person, because that's beyond you've over, that's beyond the pale, like you've overstepped. That even children in Africa. Little black children are being told that they can't go to school with their hair in its natural state. So for people to see, and not just for us to see it, though most importantly for us to see it, but also for young children who are not children of color to see the glory of natural black hair on screen. It is, it is a lesson that is softly being seeped into the spirit of all of these children. It is a normalization, but it is also a heightening. Not only is it normal, it's beautiful. Mm. So when you see it, know that it's beautiful. It's not different. It's not something you need to touch without asking. (laughs) It's not something that you need to make a fuss about or to decide that, oh, you can't possibly have a meeting with your hair like that. It's my hair. It's my hair. And there's a beauty in that normalization and regalization of those images um, that I think will reverberate. And I'm grateful that that was something that was important to both the filmmakers, Lynn, Sis, and Talbert um, was very into that. David was very into it. And Sharon Martin, 
um, whose hair is recently natural as well, uh, is fantastic. As you talk about that, I think about the first time I saw a depiction of like the value of representation was on Twitter. And I remember watching The Wiz Live and Uzo Aduba was playing Glenda the Good Witch. And uh, there was a little girl, there was a photo of a little girl standing in front of the screen and she's in silhouette and Uzo Aduba is singing on the screen. She is Glenda the Good Witch and she has this natural hair and the little girl has her little Afro puffs and she's like reaching to touch the screen. And her mom tweeted the photo out with the caption, representation matters. And my hope is that little girls and little boys that are of the African diaspora will be able to see Jingle Jangle and see Jessica and see all of these beautiful characters in their beauty and and recognize that they matter as well. So it is such an honor to get to speak with you about this film and to have this conversation with you. I I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a joy talking to you. I hope people love the film as much as we love it and um, have a wonderful holiday season. Anika Noni-Rose, interviewed by Jared Hill. Rose's film Jingle Jangle is streaming right now on Netflix. It's got some wonderful performances. Jared is half of the terrific Max Fun show Fanti, which was just named one of Apple's best podcasts of 2020. Fanti, of course, is also great. Go check out Fanti. It's the Bullseye Holiday Special. I'm Jesse Thorne, and it's that time of year again. What time? Well, of course, it is the holidays, but also the time during Bullseye's holiday episode where we turn to our three favorite brothers for some seasonal wisdom. Justin Travis and Griffin McElroy are the hosts of the Maximum Fun podcasts, The Adventure Zone and My Brother, My Brother and Me. The latter of them is billed as an advice show for the modern era. It's one of the funniest podcasts out there. Uh, the advice is, uh, let's say, a mixed bag. Uh, but it's right. always fun. Okay, no, whatever. Whatever, Jesse. <laughs> I have Let's walk. walk. Line Let's with walk. Me. It's a, yeah. it, to be disrespected like this on the holiday episode, we're out of here. <laughs> we just got here, and you're like, maybe their advice isn't good advice. Whatever. I don't need this. I want to set you guys up for success, not failure. Mm. So if I'm promising great advice and you guys don't deliver, you look like fools. But if I oh. promise a mixed bag and you deliver, okay. then you're exceeding customer expectations. Uh, yeah, I have... learned about this when I worked retail, under promise and over deliver. Exactly. Yeah. So we have the, the McElroy brothers on the line. As you can hear, we have a list of holiday conundrums sent in uh, by Bullseye and my brother, my brother and me listeners, Justin, Travis, Griffin, Welcome to the Bullseye Holiday Special. This is Justin's voice. This you, is uh, Travis's voice. Is this, this is Griffin's. Why are we doing that? But okay. I'm also Travis. It's not just I think disconnected. It's, I'm yeah. tired of being part as a whole. I have my own career, my own family, my own goals. I want to be sort of, a, I want to be sort of Justin and the Justinettes. I want to, if someone's <laughs> going to Beyonce out of the three of us, I want to Beyonce. You can't just... <laughs> arbitrarily decide that, it's not that you're going to Beyonce. Uh, sorry, Griffin, Travis, this is your chance to be Kelly Rowland. Uh, nobody wants uh, to Rowland. be that other Kelly one. Funny years, funny years up. <laughs> Kelly Rowland. Listen, I'll be Michelle, but the fact of the matter is I would Beyonce before either of you. By the way, okay. Michelle is wonderful. She's really talented. From what I understand, she has a, a big gospel career, I think. I've, I'm, I might Michelle? be mistaking that, but she's wonderfully talented. Yeah. They're all talented, okay. or they wouldn't be Destiny's Child. They'd be in the exactly. dustbin of history. 
Well, guys, do you have I, I know that you typic in a typical year, you host a big holiday spectacular in West Virginia, where you're from. Um and obviously it's it's not feasible or safe to do that this year. No, we're but still we're doing it anyway, man. folks. Yeehaw! Take the time out now. <laughs> Let's go, Yeehaw. West Virginia said it was fine. <laughs> We're going for the gusto. It's, we're in. Uh, we're we're uh, we're on the COVID scale, which nobody knows what any of it means. So we just yeah. sort of yeah. again, just yeehaw, we, yeah. let's do it. Right now, West Virginia is a magic eye poster on the COVID <laughs> scale. So if you look yeah. at it too long, you'll get a headache. But come out on to our show. We will be handing out Gallagher style tarps to everyone in the audience mm-hmm. to protect yourself from the flying melon chunks and the COVID. No, we're doing a uh, uh, an online streaming spectacular, as is the sort of custom of the day. Uh, we've got a lot of special guests and and friends helping us uh, ring in the candle night segments from a lot of our family's podcasts, uh, and it's going to be a big thing. It's a charity show, as always, for candle nights. We're uh, benefiting Harmony House, which is a, a shelter for people experiencing homelessness in our area. And uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great show. Tickets are you can get it and stream it. And this would be the perfect moment for me to tell everybody what the URL is. And it's bit.ly forward slash candle nights twenty twenty. Come so on. So what out. are the key what are the key aspects of the celebration of candle nights, Griffin? Thanks. Um, you know the usual stuff. All of it, honestly, if we're, if we're being honest, we sort of developed Candle Nights as an Ur holiday. So whatever you want to bring to it, we're freestyling it mostly. And it's like traditions, but you can change them every year. And maybe mm-hmm. not do them some years and do them others. Are there That's any special also, um, It can start whenever you want, and it ends whenever you want, which is really the real blessing <laughs> for mm-hmm. this holiday. A lot of holidays don't have that going for it, but it's a huge competitive advantage. <laughs> Are there any uh, special foods? Um, yeah, it's uh, just whatever you can fit in your mouth in 30 seconds. It's kind of a, <laughs> yeah. the special foods are all eating challenges, mostly yeah. for candle nights. And there's usually white claws and pepperoni rolls and so yeah. Totino's pizza rolls for sure. Um, assorted, the low country boil. Anything you can hold on the go. And that's hard with the low country boil because you got to yeah. wait for it to cool down. I learned that the hard way. Uh, Where the should, is- go, to put, go to put this on, find the shirt with the most pockets, and that, yep. and that is going to be your low country boil buddy. A lot of the foods that were part of the, the Candlelight's Folk Tales were unfortunately culled from the Taco Bell menu this year. So yeah, we're kind of flying yeah. without a net in 2020. It's been tough for all of us. We do have some holiday conundrums here from Bullseye and My Brother, My Brother and Me listeners. Here's the first one. When I was tucking in my three-year-old tonight, he suddenly said to me, are you excited for Batman to come and give us presents? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's my responsibility here? He didn't specify when Batman would be coming, so I don't know if he's invented his own new holiday or if he's just mixed up on how Christmas, the holiday our family celebrates, works. Can I assume he'll wake up tomorrow and have completely forgotten this idea? Or am I going to have a crestfallen little guy in the morning or whenever he thinks this is happening if I don't pull together some kind of feast day of Batman? Also, what kind of gifts would Batman bring? 
Oh, these are all great questions. First, first and foremost, what you got here, folks, you got four dads. And let us tell you, the thing you want your kid to forget they're excited about, they'll never forget. That yeah. is the thing your child will <laughs> yeah. carry with them forever. Four days ago, my kid looked at me offhandedly. BB said, I'd like to get a snow globe. I have heard that about that snow globe so many times <laughs> since then. It, it's a snow globe. I don't know why she's excited about it, but now it's yeah. all she wants. We We can more or less set aside the option of not having Batman come to your house. Like right now the question has evolved into how can we get Batman at your house? Because if it doesn't happen, <laughs> that's that that Christmas is going to be talked about in therapy, you know, 25 years from now. Now, but could you get one of fair, the lesser Batman figures? Um, oh, I thought I you were going to say a, Batman actors. No, <laughs> could you get Val Kilmer? I think you could get Val Kilmer. He's just hanging yeah, out on his ranch in Taos. <laughs> You could get Val Kilmer, but you don't need a Batman. Like every year, you don't have someone poses Santa in your house. All you have to do as the parent is say Batman came, bury a batarang in the wall, uh, yeah. maybe you know project the uh, the bat signal onto a window or two, and you're golden. Leave out a rare steak and some scalped potatoes, which is Batman's favorite <laughs> meal, as yeah. we all know, and leave one bat shaped bite out of it. What would Batman bring? Um, I don't know, a gadget? He likes gadgets, right? He's probably brought you, oh, you know what? Uh, he's probably brought you like a coupon for some mixed martial arts lessons. I'd be careful going down this path as a parent because the thing Batman really wants is more Batmans running around and there's only one way to make a Batman, baby. That's what <laughs> you know I'm saying. What it is. I know what it is. <laughs> the first thought, oh, the no. first thought, the first, the first thought any new parent always has is, boy, I hope you don't do a Batman. I would yeah. do, I just would love that. Be any other hero. Okay, we have another one here. Every December 26th, my mother and I celebrate our favorite holiday tradition, the stoning of St. Stephen, by ambushing each other and pelting each other with walnuts. We're always trying to get the upper hand when it comes to the element of surprise. Last year, I snuck into her closet while she was out, stole her walnuts, and hid them under my bed. But she picked the lock to my room while I was sleeping and snuck the walnuts before I could stop her. This year, I'm determined to get my revenge, so what's the best way to make sure that I come out on top as the superior walnut pelter? I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Thanks. Do or do not, there is no try in Maine. Um, here's, okay, um, this is, okay, there is an, there is an outcome here of you guys having this so fun walnut fight in which one of you dies. <laughs> like, is that, has that occurred to you? Like, you yeah. catch a walnut in the eye, my friend, and you're down. Yeah, get you one can of get temple. one. This person could, theoretically, self-Batman. Yes. Oh, yeah. Man. yeah. Uh -huh. That actually doesn't work because they're no, going to doesn't. find out. They'll make they'll make fun of you. Yeah, <laughs> I heard well, he Batman himself. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. afraid of that. Maybe um, uh, bake bake your mom a cake, right, and put walnuts in it, and then when she's done eating it, say, "I hit your insides with walnuts." Oh, okay, that's cool, and uh, also less likely to kill your mother. You know what would make him. You know what would be even worse than getting hit by uh, a walnut? Getting hit by a walnut that had been dipped in some jelly. 
Can you oh, imagine just man. when you add stickiness oh, into it? Oh wow, no, yeah. it's so sticky. Oh god. I've done a bit of a, a bit more research, and this is a an ancient fertility rite, uh, a, a, a Polish custom, and so maybe your mom throws a walnut at you and a baby comes out and then you're like, what did you do? It worked. Here's another holiday question for our friends, the McElroy brothers from my brother, my brother and me. My neighbor across the street has a lot of festive yard decorations that he puts up on the first day of every December, including some particularly obnoxious lights that shine at all hours of the day into my room while I'm trying to sleep. I can't put curtains up as my walls are made of impenetrable concrete. So Mm -hmm. how can I protect my delicate corneas from the constant holiday festivities? Thank you, Ashley. You said Ashley. Did you mean Julia Louis-Dreyfus in the movie Christmas Vacation? Uh, Yeah. It says Ashley, but it it obviously means that. Yeah. You are. This is simple. This is simple. Simple. It's simple. You're going to go maybe online. You don't need to go into a store for this. You're going to order a timer plug, uh, and you're going to gift that to your neighbor and say, hey, here you go. Comes on automatically when it gets dark. There are ones that you can set a timer. There are some that have light sensors on them. Comes on when it's dark. It goes off when it's light. Uh, Or you can set a timer so that it goes off at midnight so I can sleep. It's a free timer for you, Bob. Fix your light situation. Uh, Nobody can tell me how to celebrate the birth of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Certainly not someone who lives in an adjacent home. I'm going to continue to party. Question asker, I got your back. What you're going to do is you're going to go to your local hardware store. You're going to get yourself a hammer drill and some some anchors and screws and uh, some masonry drill bits for your hammer drill. And uh, you're gonna you're gonna get serious about hanging up some curtains because you need this control back in your life and you need power and you could be spending this time, you know, uh, 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 fretting about your neighbor's decor, or you could teach yourself how to reform concrete in whatever image that you like. So go get those things and hang yourself some curtains. Do not let man-made products stand in the way of your good night's sleep. You're ready for this, friend. I was going to go a step further and just say paint your entire house with Fanta Black. And then it's like the op, it will just eat up all the light that it shoots at you. And the bonus benefit is that when folks come around to check out this house's big, wild Christmas light production, they will also be intrigued by (laughs) the negative space dark obelisk that exists uh, across the street from it. Did I mention tension-mounted curtain rods? Because this would be another great option. Yeah, it uh, seems like another you. possibility. A third DIY option. Third DIY option. Double-sided. It's as funny as mine. Double-sided tape and a bunch of mirrors. You're going to put those up on the outside of your house and take that next door, Bob. Now, how about a taste of your own photons? All yeah, right, but what me... if you go overboard, then he looks out and he's like, wait a minute, is that my house over there? <laughs> how did my house get all the way over there? I'm extremely confused, and also I'm a beta fish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is a huge risk, Justin, you're right. It's a huge risk. <laughs> he's going to attack himself. Just to counter that, though, Travis, they put up mirrors. Now what? <laughs> now, at least you can sleep at night. Then that shines on the map. 
and it shows you where the treasure is. You yep. have to wait, though. <laughs> uh, here's another one. My dad is getting surgery on his bladder soon, and he's going to be out of commission for a little while. I want to get him a funny gift related to the surgery to lift his spirits a bit, but I don't have any clue what to get. Do you have any suggestions? From Bad Bladder Bafflement in Smith's Creek, Michigan. Funny gift for a bladder surgery patient. Mm. Mm. Um, maybe a coupon that says, I promise I will never ask you or discuss your bladder surgery ever again in your <laughs> oh, life. Oh, that's pretty good. And I certainly won't email to any NPR shows about, about it. <laughs> My guarantee to you. What again, about? And it says again in really small letters <laughs> yeah. at the bottom. What about a whoopee cushion that you have written replacement bladder on? And then they just have a backup if they ever need it. And then when they're asleep, you get in there up in their belly works and you install that. Yep. There's already an opening. (laughs) You got to get in there quick before it heals. You got to get in there quick. People don't take advantage of the fact that there's an opening. What? Up in the gully works, you know, up in the the gooshy bits. You know. Justin's wife is a doctor. He knows what he's talking about. She's nodding from the door. She can give me the thumbs up. She says that's a technical (laughs) term. I'm a preschool teacher, and I bake for fun. I often leave cookies and things to cool on my kitchen counter. My dad works nights and often comes home and eats 85% of whatever I had baked the day before, which Mm -hmm. isn't usually a problem. Earlier this week, I made cinnamon ornaments with my students and brought them home to dry. (laughs) Oh, boy. The only ingredients are two cups of flour and a cup each of cinnamon and salt. So they're not cookies, even though they look like gingerbread. They obviously don't (laughs) taste good. I didn't think to leave a note because they were on a tray covered in dry paint and clearly, to me, not food. I think my dad ate one of the extras I made and threw it out. I can't imagine he was able to eat the whole thing because now he's refusing to eat the actual baked goods I make. How do I tell my dad I'm not mad he ate an intentionally inedible ornament and that the other stuff I leave out tastes fine and he's welcome to them? Thanks from Not a Bad Baker in New York. I have a big problem with this and it's that this person sounds like they asked us for advice about a different question and already came up to like an incredible solution to their first problem. And now they're like, how can I re-problem it? And yeah. we're not, as professional advice guys, we're not in the business of recreating problems. This hey, one's been solved. And hey, you should Jesse feel very good about brothers, that. Up till now, my dad has been eating 85% of the things I make. And I already <laughs> solved it. Anyways, guys, have a great day. <laughs> Happy holidays for to you and yours. I need nothing from you. This is, okay. Your dad floated in on the good smell things normally, right? Normally he floats in yeah. on on the good smells, right? And sure. eats all the things. Well, it depends on how hungry he is. He Obviously. might be looking yeah. at someone and instead of them seeing a fully dressed roasted chicken. Obviously, Jesse, that's just science. But what I'm saying I mean, here, they, they wrote, they wrote that their dad is is Top Cat. So, right. so <laughs> yeah. I think this top tracks. dad, Top Dad came in, and he like <laughs> saw this tray of 
children's ornaments, which sounds like you said painted, were painted on, and he said, mmm, don't mind if I do, and ate one. It seemed like your dad, who I'm going to guess, uh, if you're a teacher, he's at least 42, just learned a lesson I'm trying to teach my child about not eating things. <laughs> and just to be clear, I'm talking about the 11-month-old one. Yeah. No, but these cookies are mean. I, I'm sorry. This is a mean thing to do with ornaments. Uh, folks, I don't feel like you should be allowed to use food products in a non-edible fashion. You know when people take perfectly good pine cones and they cover them in seeds and peanut butter? There's always part of it that's like, dang, I think I kind of want to eat that. But you're not allowed to? <laughs> what? That's the opposite, Justin. You're taking an inedible thing and you're making it more edible. This would be like if you took chunks of wood and dipped them in chocolate, I guess. No, dipping chunks of wood? Travis, dipping chunks of wood in chocolate is almost exactly the same as covering pine cones in peanut butter. I mean, I you've substituted wood for pine cones and chocolate for peanut butter, but it's the same story. We're talking here about food products made into non-food products, not non-food products made into food yeah. products. But that's it's what Justin mean. said. Justin said yeah, non-food products. Yeah, but mine was a bad example, and we all knew it, and we weren't going to dwell on it, but now you've turned it into a federal case, and I feel like that's really the problem at this point. You know who it's we're like not when... talking about here, the real victims? The kids. You could have made edible cookies for your kids, but instead you made them make kind of cookies that they can't eat. You know, you really should. The question should be, how do I tell little Vicky that my dad ate her, <laughs> ate her ornament? You know, that's really I, the, my mean dad ate it. <laughs> but it was inedible. Well, no, apparently not, Vicky. I'm really sorry. Here's one last question for uh, the McElroy brothers from my brother, my brother and me. Every year for Christmas, for many years now, my aunt's main gift to me is a giant package of Ghirardelli peppermint bark. When I was a kid... I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. But this has been yeah. going on for years now. And unfortunately, my tastes have changed with age. I guess I had too much of a good thing because now I can't stand the sight of that peppermint bark. My problem is I don't know how to tell my aunt that I want different candy for Christmas. If she's going to buy me candy, I'd like to actually enjoy the gesture. Please help me, brothers, from Peppermint Bratty in Pittsburgh. Great name. You you do know where candy is sold, right? I mean, you're an adult, I'm assuming. You know where to go get it, that's, get it yourself, I bet. That's not Come the problem, on. Justin. The problem is... It is the problem. No, no, no. This is classic. This is classic problem where a family member who doesn't know you well, or extended family member, thinks they locked on to something that they feel comfortable getting you for Christmas, for holidays, and that they believe you enjoy. And there's been an unspoken agreement between the two of you that you like it and they haven't felt the need to push past that, right? I and, think we can all agree that's an excellent summation of the question we all heard, for sure. Well, now the problem is, how do you then break that covenant? Because as soon as you say, hey, I think I might like some different candy this year. It will ripple back through your aunt's mind. And what she will hear is, I've never liked this candy. It's all yeah. been a lie. Everything up till now has been hollow. And if that's the I case, you who knows what else, Aunt Vicky, hasn't been yeah. enjoyed by other people you know. I think you could do like a, I got struck by lightning this year 
And when I got through the other side of that electric tunnel, mm-hmm. I liked different foods. You could also, and this is maybe not the most tasteful recommendation, <laughs> say that COVID swapped your ta- your buds all around. Oh. And you did COVID, but now you like chocolate oranges. COVID made that do, do it. And I know, <laughs> I loved peppermint. The thought of me never eating another Ghirardelli peppermint bag breaks my heart. But COVID it's don't. The, it's the remi- worst thing about COVID. We can all agree. Yeah. It remixed my, my buds. So now I need chocolate oranges and Malabars. <laughs> what? Your mom didn't tell me you were sick. It was just a touch of the COVID. I didn't even want to make a big it. deal out of it. No sniffles, no coffees. Just got my buds mixed up. I would sooner petition the Giardelli company to stop making peppermint bark. That is like your only <laughs> ab- actual solution at this point. Justin, Travis, Griffin, McElroy, always a joy to talk to you. Your podcast, My Brother, My Brother, and Me, along with The Adventure Zone, The Candle Knight's Streaming Spectacular, is available to watch starting December 19th for a modest contribution to charity. Thanks, guys. Always a joy to get to talk to you. You too. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. Same, same to you. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where a, a number of indoor climbing toys and uh, backyard balance beams have basically transformed my home into an occupational therapist's office. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien and Kristen Bennett. Our interstitial music is by the great Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by the band The Go Team. We're very grateful to them and to their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. You should go check out their wonderful music. If you want to hear the latest about what we're up to, you can keep up with our show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post all of our interviews there, and I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.